The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well, or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce the Sports Doc. Welcome to the newest edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger, and I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the New Year's edition of our show. I want to welcome our host, Spetcher the Wizard, and we're going to lead off with something quite different. That is PCS semifinals. We've never been able to speak about that. Why? Because this is the first time. Might as well break into the number one team, Alabama facing Ohio State in the Sugar Bowl. Spencer, what are your thoughts on this game? Well, you'd think a team coached by Nick Saban in Alabama would clearly have the upper hand, especially when two Heisman hopefuls at quarterback, Braxton Miller and JT Barrett, went down for Ohio State throughout the year. Ohio State's second game after beating Navy, they lost at home to a very mediocre ACC team in Virginia Tech. And out of all the candidates in the top eight, that was by far the worst loss of the season. And many people wrote out not only Ohio State, but the Big Ten Conference as a whole because Michigan State also went up to Oregon and got plastered in the second half of that football game by the Ducks. So it left the Big Ten without any juice and you had Wisconsin and Nebraska looking pretty average and frail out of the gate as well. So in this ball game for Ohio State, they ran the table the rest of the year. They they were able to beat Michigan State in East Lansing, a pretty decisive win over Connor Cook and the Spartans and Mark D'Antonio. And then in the Big Ten title game in Indianapolis, Cardell Jones making his first start, they were able to whip Wisconsin 59 to nothing, which was so impressive that they gave the nod to Ohio State. And as you were watching these bowl games, you looked at TCU route Ole Miss, and you were thinking, did the committee get this one right? And to start off this football game, you have Alabama, the SEC warrior that they are, ruling from the SEC West, and they got off to a 21-6 start, but Ohio State really squandered two opportunities in the red zone, particularly inside of the 10-yard line. So you knew that Ohio State was actually moving the football, and Cardell Jones was throwing with a lot of success early on in the first half. And then Alabama, and then 
Ohio State caught some breaks in the game. There was a crucial drop late in the first half where Alabama could have taken an eight-point lead to the half, 21-13, but instead Ohio State was able to drive, and it was capped off by a special play, a double reverse to a wide receiver that hasn't thrown a pass in his entire career, and he threw a perfect ball over the cornerback to the left pylon for an Ohio State touchdown, and that play just really got Ohio State and all the juice flowing. When you saw that play, the double reverse, Bruce, didn't you think that something magical was possibly on the prowl when you saw that happen? It was really exciting. And looking at the Ohio State fans, it, they really, it really propped them up. And when you're an underdog, the longer you can stay in the game, the better chance it is. And that really was a huge play. And uh, they went into halftime and I think the pressure steadily mounted. And you looked at Nick Saban's posture and, and his uh, body language. And you, ju- you just saw, it was so uncharacteristic to see so many mistakes. I really wasn't impressed with the Alabama quarterback. He just, he didn't have a particularly good game. And Cardell Jones really played like a starter. And when, when Urban Meyer was interviewed before the game, I think he was... Um, he took the pressure off of his uh, third stringer. Actually, he said that he's a first stringer, he's a starter, and he, w- he didn't want to think of him as a third stringer. So in certain ways, I think he felt comfortable that he was leading the team, and it was a very exciting game, back and forth, and uh, really riveting TV, I would say. You looked at the intangibles of Cardale Jones. He's six foot five. He's built like a Mack truck, and he even said in an interview he could throw the ball eighty yards. So he reminds me kind of, if I had to think of on the fly comparison of Jamarcus Russell. And now a lot of people might laugh at that comparison because of his dismal NFL career with the Raiders, Jamarcus Russell. But at LSU, the guy was the first pick in the draft. He has all the skill set in the world, and he could just absolutely wing the ball over the field. And a big play in the second half was with three minutes in, Cardell Jones was able to throw the ball to Devin Smith as a uh, as safety help fell down on the play. A 47-yard touchdown strike. Ohio State climbed the mountain and took the lead by, by six. And then Blake Sims gave them a gift. He wrapped Ohio State a gift, and he threw a pick six that Steve Miller was able to uh, – take back to the crib so when Ohio State was up by 13 and you saw throughout the Auburn game Blake Sims really struggle and Blake Sims is a fifth year starter he's six foot two he's a mobile quarterback he does have a strong arm but he is prone to making mistakes and against Auburn since Alabama was able to score at will and they and they were able to move the ball in Gus Malzahn's defense in Auburn. They weren't able to do the same thing here versus an Urban Meyer team in the second half when they needed it. So even throughout the LSU game, the Alabama offense struggled. So they did go through some cold times this year. You saw that the that firsthand in Oxford this year. So Alabama is a very streaky offensive team. And when they went cold, they weren't able to stop Ohio State's offenses. Ezekiel Elliott on the ground 
just really opened the game up as well. He had some really impressive runs. And just Alabama's defense, they're prone. When you have a quarterback that's mobile, he can hurt you. you or even a guy that could really throw the ball down the field. You looked at Trevor Knight last year in the, in the same bowl, in the Sugar Bowl. We watched as Oklahoma was able to throw the ball on Alabama. And then you saw Nick Marshall do it two games ago for Alabama. So... Teams can throw the ball down the field on these guys, and mobile quarterbacks such as Johnny Manziel and Nick Marshall have really hurt Alabama in the past. So for Ohio State, you knew that down the field they can convert, and on third down and long, I mean, they were money, and that's usually a down which the defense should feel comfortable in, but not with Cardale Jones and Ohio State attacking. Well, in my view, this was a game about redemption. Ezekiel Elliott has been heralded as the best runner in the uh, college football this year. And early in the game, he made a really costly fumble. He was holding the ball like a loaf of bread. It got stripped, and Alabama had great field position. But he really made, he atoned for his sins in the fourth quarter when he had an 85-yard run galloping down the sideline. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back, giving Ohio State a 42-28 to lead. And this was really insurmountable with less than four minutes left. I was just really surprised how Nick Saban, who you who you, in this game is actually seventy three and three when having a fourteen point lead. I mean, Nick Saban, when you're playing Alabama and you're playing Nick Saban, sometimes the psyche that can go into an opponent, and even watching the game, you just feel confident that Alabama is just going to come through, especially when it was twenty one to six and Derrick Henry was really running the football. I mean, Derrick Henry is so impressive as a running back, but when you go when you look at Nick Saban, you just have this feeling watching that he's not going to blow it. He's not not going to lose he's kind of like this figure that even gets you thinking mentally he just has that that advantage he never tips his hand he doesn't seem particularly happy uh on the sidelines so just playing Nick Saban in Alabama these last couple of years it's just so insurmountable to actually like get over the hump and it was just it was crazy to see Alabama fold like that because they really are a giant well I talked about redemption And I think we have to talk about Urban Meyer. Remembering how he left Florida, he really had uh, some stress-related issues, some physical issues. People were really worried about his health. The word burnout was used, much like when Dick Vermeil left the Philadelphia Eagles before you were born. Great, A great coach. And Urban Meyer wasn't sleeping. He wasn't taking care of himself. And he really... in, in. his family and himself made a decision to leave Florida. And there's many who thought he wouldn't coach again. And he had the opportunity to come back to the Big Ten in Ohio State and an epic matchup against Nick Saban. And Urban Meyer, uh, I think, is always a class act. Uh, and, and seeing that game, you know, beautifully on high def, prime time, uh, really was um, was exciting. And I, I think it, it really... Um, lend credence to having the playoff format. And frankly, a lot of these bowls were always meaningless, and that, that Sugar Bowl was, was riveting TV, and everybody's peaking for the, uh, the national championship game coming up. Well, Urban Meyer, you go back to the 2010 SEC championship game where Alabama was able to destroy Florida and go on to the, uh, go on to the national title game. 
And then Urban Meyer, like you said, took a brief retirement from football because he was just so stressed out and just losing sleep and, and was just not going through a healthy time in his life. And, you know, the Big Ten, Ohio State, many people didn't give them the chance against the mighty SEC. And a lot of people in, in the South thought, oh, well, Urban Meyer went up to the North so he can have a better chance at, at winning a conference because the SEC was just too much of a grind for him. So that, that was really quite a statement on television to see Urban Meyer and Ohio State going toe-to-toe physically with Alabama. And Cardell Jones did have time back there to throw the football. It just looked like Ohio State wasn't overmatched. Now, I do think Lane Kiffin should have ran the rock more with Derrick Henry. I think he made a tactical mistake. Henry only had 13 rushing attempts during the football game, and I think he accumulated close to 97 yards running the football. So he was getting so many yards per pop that it was unbelievable that that Lane Kiffin didn't go back to him. And even after a costly interception by Ohio State, Blake Sims threw one right back to them um, at a point where Alabama could have took the lead by one. So there were some mistakes that Alabama made in the game. I do think Alabama can't beat Ohio State if they played again. But watching that football game, Ohio State was toe-to-toe athletically with Alabama. And that was something that really was eye-opening was how the town in the SEC and the town in Ohio can be transparent or can be the same on a neutral field. Well, we're just at the end of our first segment. We're going to be taking up the second game, the semifinals, the Oregon Ducks against the Florida State Seminoles. Stay with us. We'll be back in three minutes. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injury. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Are you ready to talk sports with a passion? Get ready for Cheap Shots with Luther Broughton and Micah Warren. We'll start off with the NFL pretty much always, but the talk moves along from there. We'll talk about the events of the week, opinions from the big names, and predictions of what's to come. Plus, we'll get to hear from you, the ultimate fan. Don't let the name of the show fool you. We're in it for the good stuff. Cheap Shots can be heard live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Sports. This week on The Revolution with Jim and Trav, that's presented by Outdoor Channel. 
We're going after elk, and our hunting party will include executive producer of Realtree Outdoors, David Blanton, outdoor writer Tim McQuelch, Cabela's Optics Manager Phil Severinson, and award-winning author Keith McCafferty. Did you know the elk threaten each other by curling back their upper lip, grinding their teeth, and hissing softly? That's what Jim does. And it's presented to you by Outdoor Channel at OutdoorChannel.com. Friday afternoons at 1 Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the second New Year's segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. We're here recapping football of all sorts college pro that's about it so let's talk about the second game of the semifinal bcs the oregon big green ducks against the florida state choppers spency your thoughts in this game I was very excited to see two Heisman Trophy winners go at it in Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota. Jameis Winston and, and Florida State, they just always seem to find a way, like a villain in a superhero movie. Just so many times they're close to being casted off or taken out, but they just keep, they just seem to keep on rising. They had so many close calls in the ACC this year, and even their out-of-conference game versus Florida. Georgia Tech had them on the ropes in the in the game in Car- in uh, Charlotte in the ACC championship game and even Miami had a lead on them early and Louisville especially James Winston threw three interceptions in that game but Florida State was able to come back and 24 and 0 under James Winston and Jimbo Fisher era at Florida State that that's really impressive just being able to win all those games even though the ACC was such an inferior conference to the Big 12 and to the SEC so in this game I was just so excited to see how Florida State how they matched up with Oregon and in this game they just flat out turned the ball over too many times I mean I thought Jameis Winston actually suited himself very well throughout the game made a ton of great throws from the pocket and if Florida State could have hung on to the ball they were down 25 to 20 before three turnovers and when you turn the ball over give Oregon a short field the dominoes just continue to fall and give Oregon a lot of credit I mean Mariota looks so comfortable out there and Florida State's defense wasn't able to strike fear in this Oregon offense the first half they did a good job of containing them but they just seemed to really wear down and the pace just caught up with Florida State's defense and that's really the biggest difference between this year and last year's Florida State's team 
Last year's Florida State team, their defense was lights out, and they were beating teams 59 to nothing in the ACC. And this year, their defense was yielding a lot of offense and a lot of yards to people in that conference. And you just knew that when they played such a high-powered offense as Oregon, the offense would need to be flawless, and they were far from it. And it's not on Jameis Winston. It's on Dalvin Cook, wide receivers for fumbling. We will remember Jameis Winston for that for that fourth down play where he fell down and fumbled in kind of an epic fashion if you're an Oregon fan. And and that play really symbolized the end of the Florida State era. So for Florida State, they were just that team that that you just had confidence were going to win every time. And, and that's why it was so interesting down the stretch to think, wow, this Florida State team is actually going to go home with an L. They, again, have that polarizing effect to them kind of as a Nick Saban. So, Bruce, when you were watching this game, do you think Florida State had that aura like they were just like you had confidence in them to just always come back and they were like the team that would never give in? Well, certainly we watched a lot of Florida State this year. And a lot of times they appeared buried. So many times they came back against Louisville. They came back. They're the comeback team. And so you almost expect them to be down in the first half. But just the way this game started, touchdown for Oregon, turnover, touchdown, turnover, touchdown. They just dug such a big hole. And Oregon is really known for their offense, but their defense, they stripped the ball. Again, Dalvin Cook is a rookie running back. And after three turnovers, he got benched in the game. So I really looked at the trajectory of the game. I thought Jameis Winston, as you said, certainly he's one guy, and he just couldn't offset so many turnovers. And, and in college and pro games, the teams that turn over the ball five times are usually going to lose. Absolutely. I, I relay those sentiments. And as you looked at Oregon, did they impress you a lot with what they were able to do? Because against Florida State's defense, they, they didn't really test Oregon that much. So I don't necessarily think that I was impressed. I mean, their defense just caught a lot of breaks during that game. I mean, if you watched it, if Florida State didn't turn the ball over, I think they could have been right there with Oregon at the end of the game. I mean, I don't think there's one dominant team in college football. And and what did you think about Marcus Mariota's play? I mean, was he making a lot of NFL-type throws during the game? Is it a product of just having an efficient system? What did you think of Oregon as a whole, but Marcus Mariota and that offense? Well, I try not to dwell on statistics, but in this case, imagine the Ducks scored six straight times they touched the ball in the second half. That's really amazing. Five of the touchdowns were long plays, covering 21 yards. This reminded me of the old West Coast offense with Jerry Rice. These, um, so Mariota really was a facilitator. He, he didn't have to throw long passes. Most of the time... He threw really quick plays, slant plays, option plays. <clears throat> he looked incredibly comfortable with the offense. And um, so I, I think that th- th- this offense is perfectly geared to Marcus Mariota. And it, it, I, I think he acquitted himself well. He reminded me a lot of Russell Wilson. You know, you look at Russell Wilson for the most part. He's quick. He just He's really on balance. Throws the ball perfectly. Mariota puts the ball right on the money. Really intelligent. Um, you know, I, I think that 
certainly Winston and Mariota are headed shoulders above the rest of the class coming out in the draft. Well, I look at Mariota, and I, I just didn't see a high degree of difficult throws, as you mentioned. I think the system was so tailor-made towards him. He's so quick out of the backfield, Mariota. He's smart. He takes care of the of the football and himself, and that's a huge component of a running quarterback because you see a lot of guys in the NFL that get injured, and they put themselves in harm's way. And Russell Wilson is truly an exception because he's able to get out of balance and slide properly, where you see guys like Vic and, and Robert Griffin III trying to get extra tough yards but knowing that the hits will eventually total up and could cause them to miss some time. So I do think Mariota is a special cerebral mind. He's a great guy to put in your clubhouse and to be your leader because he has off-the-charts tangibles and intangibles. But the tangibles that he has is he's a great leader. He's a terrific person. Uh, Just hearing him in interviews, he's so humble, such a nice down-to-earth guy that I'm sure that the risk of him turning out to not work hard, have problems with work ethic or off-the-field issues, that can be trimmed down to a very low percentage. Where you look at Winston on the other side of the coin, and he's had his documented troubles in in, – with the NCAA and everything, but looking at Mariota, that that's a huge component, I think, of of his of his job as a quarterback is just his leadership skills and just the type of person that that is running your team for the next level. I look at the coaching, and Mark Helfrich certainly um, played in the shadow as a coordinator for Chip Kelly, and Chip came within three points of a national championship. But they really held the course. Almost all of the coaches stayed at Oregon. And they continued the almost the same unusual Chip Kelly way of, of signaling in the plays. They really don't huddle. <clears throat> and it was funny listening to Mariota at the end. They asked him about, um, actually it was a different interview. It was an interview with uh, Dan Patrick. And he asked him, could you call some plays, call some sample plays? And he says, I really can't. I never call plays. And a lot of it is very humble. And and hearing him talk about Hawaii, talking about his parents, he really is much like Tim Tebow without the ev- evangelical, trying to say that, component. He is just all-American boy, likable, humble, and he's he, he doesn't want to take any more credit. He's just one of the guys and it's really refreshing in sports when you see so many ego-driven interviews. To, to have a guy who seems painfully shy, he's much more comfortable running away from a 300-pound lineman than he is t- uh, taking interviews after the game. And um, it's that's part of Mariota's charm. He's, he's really, I think, a very charming, likable figure. And in sports, I think that's it's always good. He's, he's a real role model for the kids. I could I definitely agree with those sentiments about Mariota and sometimes it's hard to judge him because he's throwing because he's he's running the option or, or handing the ball off or throwing quick bubble screens he cares more about the team scoring and putting up high points that he's just the facilitator instead of a guy getting spotlighted and making really difficult NFL style pocket passes so 
that's another part you have to analyze when you think about Mariota is that he doesn't get as much of a chance as maybe like Winston who plays in a pro-style offense to demonstrate NFL-style throws. And by that, I mean waiting in the pocket a good five seconds before taking off. With Mariota, you see a lot of bubble screens. You see a lot of one read and then scramble out and make a play. So that's just that's just another thing to analyze. But it is very refreshing to see a quarterback kind of have this personality of uh, uh, and kind of just not really like the limelight or just doesn't want to overstep his boundaries and is about the team first. And a lot of guys say that, but they don't really mean it. And in this case, he truly does. Well, we're, end of the, we're at the end of the second segment. I want to thank all the listeners to Bruce the Sports Talk and Spectre the Wizard. We've got... Some treats coming up. Some really exciting games. A little bit of controversy in the Dallas-Detroit game. We rarely think that the refs may have altered the outcome, but certainly it's up for discussion. We'll be back in three. It's time for a look at sports from behind the lens with Pete Delonzo. This show provides an inside focus on what goes on in the sports world that you don't hear about on most sports talk radio shows. There have been a lot of changes in the way sports on television is presented. This includes rules, looks, and attitudes. Pete Delonzo has a 30-year-plus Emmy Award-winning career working behind the scenes in sports coverage. Now you can get the real story behind the lens with Pete Delonzo. Listen Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. We are broadcasting from the Phoenix studios at voiceamerica.com. Variety Channel, Going Global with Gas Man is the show that you are listening to. And joining me today is Sean Morley from the WWE, otherwise known as Val Venus, the big Val Boski. <laughs> Hello, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> and he's also got a third identification as well. He Absolutely. Is Captain Cannabis. Live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Pacific time on the voiceamerica.com Variety Channel. Going global with gas, man. How the hell do they know that I got gas? You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now... Back to the show. Welcome back. 
We're here wrapping up Wild Card Weekend. And we want to start off with one of the quirkier games I've seen in a while. And we get two awards are being given out, and I want to give them up. Number one, Worst Dressed Coach Award goes to Mr. Bruce Arians. He kind of looks like a guy who um, it looks like he's ready to, to tee off in Scotland with a very bright red outfit and just looks like a dancing bear. So he gets Worst Dress Award and Worst Offensive Performance of the New Millennium goes to Ryan Lindley for an epically bad 82-yard total offense performance to the point where he was always willing to steal defeat from the jaws of victory. In this game, a rather boring affair. Carolina wins their first playoff game ever. 27 to 16. Maybe maybe that's a little exaggeration. And it's not ever. <laughs> they went to the Super Bowl in 03. Reverse New England. Let's not get hung up on details. Do you remember that Super Bowl DeLome versus Brady in, in Houston, Reliance Stadium? In fact, actually, they were the last team to play in Lincoln Financial Field. That's really crushing to you. That That's bringing up bad I think memories. I, uh, I think I blacked out that, <laughs> that game, and I also blacked out. That was the Todd Pinkston game? I, I blacked out the... Uh, the John Gruden Tampa Bay epic loss, the last game at the vet, the coldest right. game I ever attended. So I, ha- I have to be excused for my brain blacking out any prior Carolina playoff wins. It was a long time ago. Certainly, if we look at the new era of Carolina football, even going back through Steve Smith Sr.'s tenure there, and certainly with Arizona, they had a great regular season and they were down to their third quarterback. Many people thought that they had no chance with the third stringer. And unlike Ohio State, those people were quite correct. If you could take Cardell Jones or Ryan Lindley in the playoff game, who would you take? I'll take the guy who can throw it 80 yards, <laughs> Cardell Jones. I, I actually would agree with that. So it's pretty funny that a college quarterback depth chart is deeper than an NFL one. And they had Logan Thomas on the sideline, a six foot six kid out of Virginia Tech. And I guess they're really just saving him up or tampering him, whatever word you want to use for for they're really saving him up. They don't want him to be exposed to NFL defenses and they don't want him to fail early on in his career and they signed Carson Palmer to a long year tenure so they don't want to throw him into the fire immediately that's why they kept Ryan Lindley in there and they like his personality I mean the guy's a likable guy from San Diego State he knows the offense very well with Bruce Arians having quarterback them last year the bottom line is this guy's not talented dude he's slow his arm is really frail I mean he makes Chad Pennington look like Dante Culpepper. He literally, his arm looks like a noodle, and I, I guess that's as frank as I can be. I mean, just Carolina's defense in this game, it was a rainy affair, and Carolina made a ton of mistakes. They fumbled punts. Cam Newton almost threw a pick six in this ball game. but the one encouraging thing I did see is that Luke Keekley nine tackles and interception. He played out of his mind. Jonathan Stewart on the read option was extremely effective, getting 108 yards. So when you look at this Carolina team, next week they have to run the football because – 
you know, Kelvin Benjamin going up against Richard Sherman and, and Greg Olson, Jericho Cotri, former Jet, they're just not going to dominate the, the Seattle secondary throwing the rock. They're going to need Cam Newton to be heroic, run the read option. They're going to need Jonathan Stewart to get some chunk plays and get some 20-yard runs next week if they're going to have a chance going to Seattle. So if you're Seattle... How worried should you be about this Carolina team and their defense? Well, I think that the story will be turnovers, as it usually is. Carolina's got a formidable defense. If they can somehow, which is very difficult, Russell Wilson, such an intelligent quarterback, he really manages the game well, doesn't turn the ball over. I think the only chance Carolina has is if their, their defense really forces turnovers. It's it's hard to... And I think Cam Newton is going to have to take chances. He's going to have to run with the ball. He's going to play, you know, run the option like he tends to do. And he's got to be willing to put his body on the line. And uh, Luke Keekley, I would say, taking his body of work, other than J.J. Watt, I think he's he's had, he's had the second best defensive player if there was a second best award, he would win it. A, a great play he made. He's, he's got so much um, anticipation in that play in the end zone where he tipped the ball, essentially redirected for an interception. That was a killer in the game. And so I kind of look at him as almost having one and a half interceptions in this game. And you're talking about a linebacker. He's not even a member of the secondary. A really fierce tackler. And what a leader. Um, you know, I'm, I'd have to go back. Maybe Brian Urlacher, who recently retired, just such a—he's a different player. He's he's smaller, um, just kind of like a hybrid between Urlacher and Zach Thomas, going back to his days where he really was able to drop back in coverage. Excellent tackler. So Carolina defense will will have to come up stout. Ron Rivera against Pete Carroll, a mm, little bit a little bit overmatched. How much will the tenth man? Come into play. Twelve. The tenth man actually would be um, one of the offensive linemen. That I was just seeing if you were paying attention. <laughs> just seeing if I'm still awake. I'm glad you're still awake. Yeah. <laughs> so re- going on to this matchup in Seattle, I think see I think Carolina has to run the football. They have to put pressure on Wilson. They have to hit him. I think they do have the capability of bottling up Seattle. Uh, whatever the under is, I would bet it here. It's going to be an ugly affair. I don't see Marshawn Lynch really. Get Gousing this defense. When I watched the Giants win their Super Bowls, when I saw Green Bay hitting on all cylinders before they went on their Super Bowl run as a wild card team, you just totally have to take records out of the mix when you analyze Carolina. They were seven and eight and one in the regular season, but they're so much better than that now. And in fact, you saw Carolina in person, Dad. And it's or Bruce, it's pretty unbelievable to think that Carolina is now two steps further than the Philadelphia Eagles right now, and that Carolina is potentially 60 minutes away from playing in an NFC title game, where the Eagles and Carolina they beat this team by a combined probably 70 to three points. It's just unbelievable how the nature of the NFL works. That's why when people tell me that their team should should tank the season when they're competing for a playoff spot or just look to go into to the draft. This is a perfect example of why the best team in the NFL doesn't always win. There's so many injuries. 
the momentum in the NFL changes on a weekly basics. In an instant, it can all change. So for Carolina, they got full steam ahead. I love what Cam Newton said in his post-game press conference. He basically said that we we were sloppy today. We're, we're going to celebrate this win, but then we're going to get right back to the drawing board because the road, we don't want the road to end after this week. We don't want this to be a heroic feat. So their, their head's in the right spot. I just think they're extremely dangerous because they've been on fire the last four weeks. So that's just something to really watch is the momentum in the NFL. Well, I don't want to spend too much time on the uh, Cincinnati-Indianapolis game. It certainly was a very boring game. Cincinnati, again, was an exercise in futility. Andy Dalton just doesn't seem to have it. Um, again, I was watching carefully. To his, to his credit, his wide receivers just weren't getting open. A.J. Green was not in the game, and he just didn't have anywhere to go. When he did, he was very inaccurate. He, made, he just looked really clumsy back there. This looked like a replay of... Of all the other Cincinnati losses, Andrew Luck ha- had his 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 highlight film breaking away, you know, essentially falling down and in, in, in being so strong to to be throwing touchdown passes. And Indianapolis playing at home, they play so well at Luke, Lucas Oil Stadium. This was definitely, I think, a rather boring game. And I personally have to question: Marvin Lewis has more lives than. Uh, a cat who, who has nine lives. <laughs> so I guess he has 10 lives. I knew you were going there. And uh, yeah, you know where I was headed, animal, animal wise. And um, Andy Dalton, you know, I, ju- I just questioned whether whether he's a, a playoff quarterback or whether we've seen the best of him. When you look at Matt Schaub, he was a dude that was leading Houston deep into the playoffs and, and pretty much riding off the coattails of J.J. Watt, Arian Foster, and at that time, Andre Johnson in his prime and just a terrific defense. And But he was never a guy who could threaten the the, the Paytons and the Toms. And, and in this case, Andy, Andrew Dalton, I just never see him really going up to that elusive elite level. It was kind of like Mark Sanchez with the Jets when they faced a quarterback that he just couldn't get it done. And I don't know why Cincinnati signed him to a long-term deal. I mean, even though he must be a likable guy, even though he's very smart, he's motivated all the right things, his arm talent just isn't that – it just isn't that of a quarterback that's will, that's uh, ready to take his team to the next level. Or It's not a Super Bowl-worthy arm talent. When you look at Andy Dalton, he's not particularly tall. And if you're not tall and don't have great arm talent, you at least have to be very mobile and elusive on your feet. He just doesn't have the qualities of a top-tier quarterback. And for Cincinnati, they have an expiration date with this guy back there. And even a healthy A.J. Green, I don't think that Cincinnati could have I don't think that they could have gotten past this level and they would have gotten stomped at the next level. So if you're in the NFL, it's not a bad thing to to really lose a whole lot of games and then draft a young quarterback because if you don't have one of those top seven guys, you're flat out, you're not going to be in the Super Bowl competing for championships. And that's just the nature of this league and the nature of this game. Yeah, I agree. I, I think Cincinnati burned a lot of um, cap space. They, they gave him a big signing bonus, and that's – in the NFL, you could always cut somebody, but when you give somebody, particularly a quarterback, a big signing bonus, you really need to plan on him um, being that guy. And um, Andy Dalton, you know, seems like a, a great person, a great, in, you know, great interview, a good team player, a very likable person, but 
you know, just having a good personality. Like with Ryan Lindley, personalities don't win games, and the NFL is all about winning. We've got I we we saved our our two most interesting games for the last segment. We appreciate everybody listening to Bruce the Sports Doc on the Voice America Sports Network. Stay right there. Get ready to talk sports with the big guys. Tune in to Lockdown Coverage with Keith Lewis every Tuesday for the inside and outside of the business of sports. Keith and his guests will provide expert commentary and answer all of your burning questions about your favorite team, the players, and what's next. It's time to have fun with the game. Listen for Lockdown Coverage with Keith Lewis and his favorite co-hosts every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The talk doesn't get any hotter. Check your feelings at the door and enter the man cave. Don't let the name fool you because we're here for anybody that wants to talk and listen in. Host J.D. Harris and Ray Austin are here to lead the forum from the fans, former players, owners, execs, and coaches. While inside the man cave, you do whatever you like. We won't judge. We'll even go beyond sports to talk technology, current events, and entertainment. Tune in every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the final segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. I want to thank everybody back in the land of the midnight sun, that would be Phoenix, Arizona, the, the great production team at voiceamerica.com. I want to thank Ray Ellis, our illustrious sports editor, and of course, the president and leader of our network, Jeff Spinard. It's time to get right back into NFL wildcard weekend. Let's talk about the double D's. Detroit against Dallas. Yeah, this was a this was a heck of a matchup, and I really am. I'll be the first one to admit I was really wrong about this matchup because I said that Dallas would, would trounce Detroit. That was clearly not 
evident, especially in the first quarter when Detroit was up 14 to nothing, I thought that my prediction would have been completely wrong. Instead, this game took a lot of wild turns throughout, and I think in the in the end, the last couple quarters, you saw that Dallas just had more firepower than the Detroit Lions did. Detroit was is able to stop the run, so they are a very tough matchup for Dallas. And the, and while dissecting this game, Detroit's line proposed a lot of problems for Dallas. Dallas did a poor job of protecting blitzes in the first half of the game. But there were some issues with Detroit's offense, especially in the second half. And Dallas was able to hit on some big plays, and, and Roma was able to step up and... And make really just enough things happen for Dallas to win this game. I really do think that Detroit is is a bad match. I think Green Bay is actually an easier matchup for the Dallas Cowboys because their whole enigma, everything that they stand for, runs through Demarco Murray and not Romo, and that's the difference between a twelve and four team and an eight and eight team is when you actually hand it off to a guy. And if you're a run-first offense, and Indomitian Sue, ZZ Ansah, this Detroit defensive line was very formidable. And that's that's why this matchup was a really tough one. As I saw throughout the game, I should have really taken more time to look at Detroit's rush defense because that's exactly Dallas's bread and butter, and they took away the bread. Well... I also look at Detroit. Why did they lose the game? One is they, they really didn't have a running game, and that was really evident in the second half. <clears throat> I thought Coach Jim Caldwell also was really conservative. After having the lead, he was he went into the prevent offense in the second half, and they just seemed like they were waiting for Dallas to, to come in and win, and they were daring them to win. An epically bad 10-yard punt basically gave Dallas a short field and they were able to drive 60 yards for the winning touchdown. Detroit got the ball back with some time left, but I just had a feeling, you know, watching the game like you did, Detroit just didn't have it. Matthew Stafford hasn't won a playoff game. That is true. Unlike the Carolina Panthers, who I would have correct have actually won. And Detroit, you just, you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Um, Certainly the big controversy was on a uh, a play where it looked like the Detroit receiver was completely mauled. He, it reminded me of the ghost of Bradley Fletcher. The guy was just dogging him, pushing him, not looking at the ball. So much contact before the pass came in. And now the NFL, they had to respond today. The, the, the ghost in the room, you see Jerry Jones and um, Governor Christie celebrating. Um, certainly as an Eagles fan, not a very pleasant sight. And so many people thought that they were talking about conspiracy theories. The the flag was thrown and it was taken back and there's no explanation why there was no foul in the play. And the league actually retracted and stated that it was a mistake, but they said it was defensive holding. Looking at the play, it really wasn't. I didn't see the guy hold him. He was just pushing him. And not even grabbing him, but just pushing him. And it was a classic pass interference play. Will certainly go down in history as one of the worst calls ever in the sense the flag was thrown and was retracted. And while I don't believe that one play or one penalty really, you know, cost Detroit the game, I think it was their their, their overly conservative strategy, their absence of a running game, 
and Tony Romo made some key throws. Des Bryant had a really long reception showing his athleticism. DeMarco Murray had an average game, not a great game, but certainly ran the ball enough. And it, it cumulatively, Dallas had what it really what it took, and they had they had a great year. Romo certainly had one of his best years, and he finally got the monkey off his back, and he in in for his sake, hopefully got the label of choke as he was able to move on to the next game. Well, anal- there's a lot to chew on with what you just said. I mean, you brought up the penalty, and one play does not reflect the outcome of a game unless it's like the last play of the game the only one play that I can think of the only one call that really reflected the outcome of the game was maybe the tuck rule with Brady uh, versus the Oakland Raiders like 14 years ago or the fail Mary do you remember that in Seattle when two guys had the football but it was clearly an interception and they called it a touchdown but that was literally at the end of a game and there was still eight minutes to go and Detroit they would have had the ball in the 30 yard line the, the scenarios would have changed. Matt Prater probably would have been in field goal range. It would have been a six-point game. And then Dallas would have had to drive down knowing they needed the touchdown. So things would have changed there. Conspiracy theories are always tough to argue, especially when you when you obviously are not on the inside of one. It just kind of sounds ridiculous. But when you think about it, I mean, who does the NFL want? Do they want Detroit playing Seattle and Carolina Green Bay? No, they want Dallas in. There's so much excitement with Romo over social media of whether he'll choke or not with Jerry Jones, Chris Christie, Dallas Cowboys brand finally making a resurgence. But looking at this football game, the key was on that last drive, Dallas was able to rush four guys, and that's what they're going to have to do against Aaron Rodgers. They finally woke up during that game. They were hungry, and they made plays. But something I was so puzzled about during the game is that you have Calvin Johnson, you have Golden Tate, and you drafted Eric Ebron with the 12th pick out of North Carolina as a tight end who's really athletic. You have to use these weapons, and you have to put the ball in the air, especially the Megatron, even if it's in double coverage. I mean, this guy had over 300 receiving yards last time these two teams met last year, so look for a pass interference. Put the ball in the air, and I'm not talking about the last drive, because I know that's risky to throw the ball in the double coverage, but when you're up in the middle of the third quarter, why not try to take the cover off the defense and throw one deep? Just it's mind boggling. And Matt Stafford, you cannot compare him in the same breath as a Dalton or a Lindley. I mean, this guy is extremely talented throwing the football. He can throw from any platform. He throws it sidearm, overhand. This guy is really a studly thrower of the football. And for them not to test Dallas's secondary, their weakness, it is mind-boggling. And I do agree that Detroit was kind of trying to hold on and not lose instead of going out there and making plays in the passing game. And I agree. Just to restate the point, I think Jim Caldwell, when he watches the film here, will just realize that he just given you know he's got to be he's an underdog. He's away in Dallas, and you 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 can't just lay back. He he needed to throw the ball. He needed to take some chances, and just let the game slip away. And um, you know, I think enough said about that. I'd like uh, well you know, to, you- to jump into the. I, I really want to jump in before the show's over. Do you want to give our picks for next week though? Um, not right now, actually. I want to talk about Baltimore-Pittsburgh. Essentially, Joe Flacco certainly deserves kudos for 
a great game on the road in Pittsburgh, cold conditions, cold, poor field, and he he really rose above and surprised me in that the Ravens beat the Steelers 30-17. to Yeah, I mean, Pittsburgh had no running game. Le'Veon Bell was out this game, so they had to rely on Ben Tate as the starter. And Pittsburgh just didn't have a rushing attack. They were very one-dimensional, and that's a huge problem. And Terrell Suggs in the defensive line was able to get in to Ben Roethlisberger and hit him, and they're going to have to do that next week in New England if they're going to be victorious. But I was very impressed with Joe Flacco in this game. His playoff pedigree is pretty fantastic, and when the lights are on, I mean, this guy is really performing when it matters. Well... For those who hung in throughout this whole show, I think they deserve to hear our predictions. Yeah, let's recap. Let's talk about next week's games and preview them. First game we have is we have New England at home taking on Baltimore. What are your thoughts about this one? New England, 34, Baltimore, 17. Wow, big time New England Patriots win. I am actually going to go with an upset. I'm going to take the Baltimore Ravens this week, 27, and New England, 21. The next game we have is we have the nightcap. We have Carolina taking on Seattle, and I'm going to open up this one. I think the the Carolina Panthers are going to win this football game. I think they're going to win this game 20-17, to Carolina. Seattle wins. I'm going to say closer than most people would expect, 27-21, Seahawks at home. First game on Sunday, we are going to be in the NFC at Lambeau Field, Dallas versus Green Bay. Let's hear your prediction. Green Bay, 34, Cowboys, 24. Wow, Rodgers has a big day for you, but not for me. I'm going to take Dallas, 24 and Green Bay 20. That That's another upset. You are the king of upset predictions. <laughs> DeMarco's going to run the football really well. Um, this is actually my most confident pick, ironically. I think Dallas is going to win this week. Do you know how bad Lambeau Field is going to be? But, you know, th- that you're entitled Dallas to Dallas will run it down their throat and hold the football, and I can't wait to, to see you next week after this one. This is actually my most confident pick. Okay, well, we're gonna. We always have fun. We we do the uh, Monday morning. I would win a lot of money from you because I'm definitely gambling all the upsets, and you're taking pretty easy street on this one. It's fine. I'm not actually criticizing you for your picks. I actually think that they're very intelligent picks, and that's why a lot of people agree with you. But I'm just analyzing that I would make more money. All right, last game. Denver, we have the Indianapolis Bull, which is pretty much Peyton Manning versus Andrew Luck, and this is awesome for so many reasons. What's your pick here? Well, I'm finally going to get into the upset sweepstakes. You don't have to. I don't have to, but I will. Okay. Andrew Luck wins, cracks through, and beats his the, the former king of the Colts. And I'm going to predict um, inclement weather, Rather low-scoring game. I'm picking 24-17. to 17. Colton an upset over the Broncos. 35-17 Denver. Not really a contest. Completely opposite of you. I don't think this will be a close game at all. Indianapolis is one-dimensional as it gets. It might be the worst game of the weekend, but at least it's Peyton versus Luck. I, hope it, I actually hope it's better, like your prediction, but I just don't see it happening to Denver. Well, we're just out of time for this show. I want to thank everybody 
who listen to Bruce the Sports Doc on VoiceAmerica.com. We'll be back next week with another hopefully exciting show. Thanks for joining the discussion this week on Bruce the Sports Doc. Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grossinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then. We'll see you then.